first part of this chapter um, kind of ties the Old and the New Testament in together. Uh, and as you know, I like I like anything that does that. I like uh, uh, when when I hear Bible teachers do that. And uh, uh, it was at a church camp where. Uh, um, who knows, maybe 10 years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, um, one of the other preachers that I know, uh, he challenged us, uh, me and another preacher, he said, hey, uh, when you're preaching, you know, make sure if, you're, if your passage is in the New Testament, make sure you get something from the Old, or if you're in the Old, make sure you get some things from the New uh, to connect them together. Uh, and at first I thought, that, well, that sounds pretty easy, but sometimes that's not as easy yeah. as but once you get into the habit of that, you start to really see how the Bible uh, is its own, uh, it, it explains itself, it gives its own examples. You know, we can see, uh, you know, we talked about David, you know, a few minutes ago. Uh, David shows us uh, things that happen in the New Testament. You know, God says this will happen. He says, you will reap what you sow, and David is one of the many examples of that. You see that, but... Uh, uh, I'm so glad that this is not two different separate Bibles. This is one Bible. Uh, yes, it's uh, split into two Testaments, but they they go together. Uh, and, and this is another spot in the Bible that really puts them together. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not uh, that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of, as some of them committed and fell in one day twenty and three thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed as serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Yeah. And now all yeah. these things happened unto them for examples, uh, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us tonight to learn. Lord, help me to preach. And Lord, that uh, uh, your word would come alive in our hearts and our minds. Yeah. And that tonight we would see, uh, again, this connection between the Old and New Testament. Uh, and Lord, that we how we can apply it to our life today. Lord, I ask that you bless not just those that are here, but those that may listen yeah. later or yeah. listening online right now. Lord, I ask that you touch hearts. Lord, uh, Lord, we know uh, we're not doing this for fame. But Lord, if this reaches... Uh, across the world, Lord, praise God, Lord, that you would uh, get the increase from that. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. So we see in the first uh, couple verses, it is uh, reminding us, and moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, uh, but notice what it says right here, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and then starts talking about Moses' <laughs> 
uh, and starts about them uh, after they had come out of the bondage of Egypt. And there, you know, we know that they were wandering in the wilderness. So that is what it's talking about in this first couple verses, this time period. But you notice it says in verse one, how that all our fathers that, that I don't fully understand that. I'll just tell you right now. I don't understand. Paul is a Jew. He's writing to a Gentile church. And he's saying all our fathers when he's talking about the children of Israel and Abraham, Moses and different ones and things like that. That doesn't make total sense to me. But I'm thinking the way uh, because, again, you've heard me say it before. We're not Jews. We're not replacing the Jews. We're, uh, uh, we are the church and uh, we are grafted in, but we're not a replacement. Uh, but when he's saying all of our fathers, I think it's because. He is using the Jews in that time, especially when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. He's using that, he said, as an example. He uses it twice in this passage. They are an example for us today. So I think when he is kind of describing them and us, he's giving the similarities between them. We're not the same, but there's some similarities between the children of Israel and the church today. And I think that's what he's uh, showing us here uh, and especially the example that they were, and unfortunately it's a bad example. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, the bad part of their example. Uh, but that's what I think that this kind of context in all our fathers. Paul says that Moses and the children of Israel were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. And that should be something interesting because you think, well, they didn't literally get dunked like we do. They didn't get baptized like we do. In fact, you know, what's the, uh, what's the big thing? thing today you know are you do you sprinkle them do you immerse them do you, guess what he's saying they all were baptized in the cloud and in the sea they didn't even get wet at all right they went through the red sea on dry land the water the water was walled up on either side of them they didn't get wet at all but he's saying hey uh, they were baptized and i think very quickly we realize that he's talking about spiritual pictures from what they were uh what was happening to them physically so one of the spiritual pictures you get is when they were in bondage to egypt the bible always equates egypt with sin you know it's the yeah, bondage right. of sin they were under bondage of sin and, and they couldn't get out, right? They couldn't get out of Egypt on their own. They didn't have the power. They couldn't just march out of Egypt. In fact, they even asked Pharaoh and he said, no, I'm not letting you go. I'll tell you what, the devil's not letting go of this world. The only way a sinner is going to escape the bondage of sin is if someone stronger than the Pharaoh comes. And aren't you glad there's a stronger than he? That's Jesus Christ. And he's the one that got them out of there with great power. But guess what? As soon as they're leaving, the devil wants to go get them, right? He wants to go after them. And what happened? First, they get to the Red Sea, and now it's a problem. The Red Sea is preventing them from going any further. They've got the enemy behind them. Uh, but we know the next part of the story. Uh, uh, Moses, through the power of God, uh, he lifts that rod and the Red Sea parts. They yeah. go over a dry land. I like the part we sometimes forget uh, that the Lord kept the, uh, the Egyptian army from going any further. They couldn't. 
couldn't go any further. He said he, and then uh, uh, finally, once they get all the way across, then the Lord lets the chariots and Pharaoh's army go into the Red Sea, and then it closes over on top of them, and they're gone. And guess what? That Red Sea now, instead of being a hindrance for them to get away, now it's a hindrance from the enemy to come get them anymore. Right? right? That bondage is gone. Praise God that we're saved today. Uh, the devil will never have the same hold that he had on us before we were saved. Amen. Amen. But we see these spiritual pictures. But what happens next? You know, we, uh, Egypt, uh, like I said, a picture being in sin, uh, passing through the Red Sea. It's kind of like the baptism there. They were, uh, right after they were freed, they went through the Red Sea. Uh, and they're on the other side now. Uh, but on the other side, we know the next part is that wilderness area, that wilderness desert area, uh, that dry area. Uh, and But here's the thing. God never wanted them to stay in the wilderness. That's right. right? He wanted them to cross the wilderness, yeah. Yeah. get to uh, the edge of the promised land, and start taking the land of yeah. Canaan. That's what he wanted. In fact, it would have only taken them a couple days to cross the wow. uh, the wilderness, get to where they needed to be, and they could have they could have fought Jericho within weeks, right? Within a week or two. That's all it would have taken, and they could have started it and and been taking the land that God wanted to. But if you know the story, what did they do? They sent 12 spies, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Two. 12 spies. 40 days, I believe it was, they spent spying out the land. They're looking at it. And if you uh, take what God said they would find, and you take what they found, it's the same thing. God said it would flow with milk and honey. Yeah. What did the spies come back and say? Yeah. It flowed with milk and honey. We found right. it. We saw it. Everything God said was true, but... There's giants there and walled cities and we're grasshoppers in their sight uh, and we can't do it and we're afraid of all these things. And you think, how could they be afraid of giants and walled cities when they just passed through the Red Sea by dry land when the strongest nation uh, was brought to ruin because of those plagues, right? And then they're saying, uh, uh, we can't do this. You know what it was? They didn't want to. Yeah. They didn't want to. And that's the difference. See, when you're in Egypt, there's no choice, right? There's no choice when you're in bondage to sin. You sin because you're a sinner, right? You sin because your father's the devil. Yeah, you may do a couple things right, and you may live what you think is a good life, but you're in bondage to sin. But on the other side, you choose It's a choice. God never forced them to go to Canaan. He gave them a choice. And that's the same thing with you and I. Spiritually, we've got the choice. But look at verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And I think that's the understatement of the Bible, right? With many of them, God was not pleased. All but two, God was not pleased, right? And he was so not pleased, he said, you're going to wander for 40 years and you're just going to die off until you're all, uh, what was it, 20 and up, all you die off. And then we start, then we can go into the promised land. He wasn't pleased. However many died in unbelief, wandering around in the desert place. And like I said, it would have only taken them a few days if they would have trusted the Lord. But instead, they're walking in circles for 40 years in the desert. And you know what's sad? is even though it was their unbelief and their choice and their rebellion against God to not go in the promised land, 
they, you read it, and you look back into those passages, especially like numbers and different things, they are blaming God for where they're at. They're blaming God that we're wandering here in the wilderness when it was their choice, right? That's what we see. It's hard to even imagine. Because imagine if you were God, and I'm glad we're not. Because I'd have wiped him out. I said, this is your fault. Or I'd have said, I told you so, or something like that. But in spite of that, in spite of them blaming God over and over again uh, uh, for where they were at when they chose it, and they chose to rebel against God, and they chose to forsake the promises of God and everything else and do what they wanted to do, in spite of all that, the Lord fed them every day. Didn't yeah, he? He, he sent manna. Uh, and not only that, he led them every day. He, he made sure and showed them the where they, they needed to go. He gave them water every day. The rock followed them. That rock is Jesus Christ. Followed them. He protected them. Anytime they were attacked or anytime uh, he brought victory for them, uh, he protected them. He didn't let them get wiped out. He made sure their clothes and shoes lasted the entire time. In spite of all their rebellion and everything else and blaming him, he still took care of them. That's the mercy of God. I grow tired of people saying the Old Testament God's not merciful. Yes, he is. He's just as merciful as the New Testament God. The difference is whether judgment is now or judgment's delayed. That's the only difference. We think that he's more merciful. No, he's more patient today. He will judge sin, just like he judged sin in the Old Testament. It's just delayed. That's the only difference. Long-suffering, amen. Verse 6. Now these things, so verses 1 through 5, were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. See, a lot of people ignore the Old Testament or they only teach it to children, uh, but the Bible tells us that it is over and over again. It is for the New Testament church, and right here we have a direct example. The children escaping the bondage of Egypt uh, It's not just a historical story. It's not just a good read to figure out what happened, uh, but they're saying, hey, these actions that they took, these decisions that they made after they came out of Egypt are for our example today. Day. We can see real people making real decisions, and we can see the consequences, right? So that way we don't have to make the same mistakes Israel did. That's what it's saying right here. As the church, we don't have to make the same mistakes. Now again, we're not going into the promised land, right? We're not literally taking the land of Canaan. We're not Jews. But spiritually, we can learn these things. Number one, as I think we can see right there, as Christians... Remember I said the promised land, oh, I I don't think I described it fully, but uh, Egypt is living in sin, right? That's that's as you're a sinner. Uh, You get out of Egypt when you're saved, uh, the next place is in the wilderness, and that's the decision place. Right? That's where you make the decision. Either you stay there or you go to the promised land. Now, I know a lot of songs talk about heaven being the promised land, but I don't think that's the spiritual picture. I believe the promised land is being still on this earth, still in this life, but being where God wants you to be and trusting God to take care of you where God wants you to be. Right? There's enemies in Canaan. There's not going to be enemies in heaven. Amen. Amen. I'm not, we're not going to be fighting battles once we get to heaven. That's over. 
Uh, but on earth, we will fight spiritual battles. But that promised land, I believe, is a picture of you and I. How do we get there? When we're in the center of God's will, when we're trusting God, when we're following God, and that's right where we need to be. Yes, there'll be enemies. Yes, there'll be problems. Yes, there'll be giants. There'll be all those things. But God will always bring victory and greater blessings where we're right where he needs us to be. And I think that's it. The Christian has a choice. We can either stay in the wilderness and wander around, or we can go to the promised land and be in the center of God's will. So I think that's the spiritual pictures of these things. So here, if a Christian decides not to live in the promised land, what happens? You'll still get some blessings, right? They were fed. They got manna. They got the quail, they got the, uh, their, their shoes were okay, all of these things. They got some blessings. But if you look at the blessings that those in the wilderness got versus the blessings of those in the promised land, they don't compare. Right? Now think about your life and our life. What about those times where we've decided what we want to do against God's will? God still took care of us. He still was there. He didn't abandon us. He took care of us. But think about the difference between those blessings and the blessings when you're right in the center of God's will. Amen? There's a difference. There's a vast difference. And what's he say? Now these things were for our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And see, this is what it talks about. This wilderness wandering period all began with lusting after evil things. Now, sometimes when we hear the word lust in English, we think about sexual things, but lust is way broader than that. It's huge. It is just following your desires, whatever they are. And it could be a million different things. So he's saying, hey, uh, they uh, lusted. They just followed after their own evil desires, sinful desires, ungodly desires, rebellious desires, whatever you want to call it. They followed after that, and that led to the wandering period. And they're for an example for us. So what's that mean as a Christian? If you're constantly following your own desires that aren't the Lord's desires, you are living the spiritual equivalent of them wandering in the wilderness. All right, so we got it? So now let's look at some of these specific examples, because again, these are our examples. So verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So this specifically is talking about Exodus chapter 32. Remember, Moses is on the mountain. He's getting instructions from the Lord. He's been away too long. They're panicking. Uh, so now they say, let's break off our earrings. Let's make a, molten, a golden calf. They start worshiping it. Uh, and here's the thing. Again, just like lust, we think of a narrow definition. Idolatry, sometimes we think of a narrow definition, right? We think of the statues, the idols, the things like that. Uh, but what's it say right here? The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So you know what that tells me? It wasn't just the golden calf. That's not just, that's not the whole idolatry. It wasn't just the golden calf, because today we could say, well, if we, we take away the calf, everything's fine. No, God said not just the calf was the problem. What, look at what he says. They, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's the other half of idolatry. Oh, yeah. 
Ooh, I don't like that, right? What's it talking about? Pleasures, entertainment, comfort, lust, instead of following God's will, instead of righteousness. And I'm afraid of the church today. I'm afraid today we get so focused on what? Comfort, eating, drinking, playing, right. right? Some of these selves aren't sin in and of themselves. But when they're at the expense of the Lord's will, that becomes an idol just as much as the golden calf, right? We can worship the golden fork and knife, right? We can worship the golden TV. We can worship the golden cell phone, the golden tablet, the golden computer. It's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. If we substitute that stuff for worship, if we substitute it for prayer, for serving God, for getting into God's word, I'll tell you what, those uh, they make chairs today that are really comfortable. You hit a button, that you, you know, you pull the little lever, they kick back. And I tell you what, it's easy to worship different things. Amen. When you know there's things that God wants you to do. And again, I'm not saying there's never a time for rest, never a time for that. I'm just saying that more often than not, we know uh, where the balance needs to be. And we're putting the balance more towards these things, just like they did. Eat, drink, rise up and play. That leads into verse eight. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day uh, three and 20,000. You know what's sad today? I bet if we ask the majority of young people what the word fornication means, they probably don't even know what it means, yeah. right? They don't even know what it means. And if you explained it to them, they would think, well, there's no problem with that, right? In fact, uh, I've heard over and over again these studies of psychologists and everything else. They say it's better to live together before you're married first and try it out and see if things work. That's what they say today. That shouldn't surprise us. That's what people are doing. Every one of us knows people that are openly fornicating, right? In a relationship, we know every. You know what's sad? I think just about every one of us knows people that profess to be Christians that are doing the same thing. That's what's sad. And what's he saying? So I think one of the examples of this comes from Numbers 25. Uh, we're not going to read it, but basically what happens is they start to commit whoredom against with the daughters of Moab. And that fornication uh, is connected with them being with the Moabites. And it leads to them bowing down to the Moabite gods. And it, that plague killed the 23,000. That's what it's talking about in this verse. Uh, but one of the, as I think I've told you, I've been trying to work on Jude and I'm, I'm a little more than halfway through it now. Uh, but one of the verses I keep going at over and over again as you're repeating it to get it smoother and get it uh, stuck in your mind is verse seven of Jude. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Notice there's a progression there. Fornication, which is the wide term. And then he says, and going after strange flesh. It wasn't just guy and a gal fornication, right? We know the way they went at Sodom and Gomorrah, but that's what they're seeing. And I think that fornication is kind of a gateway sin. I think that's leading people deeper into other things, whether it's drugs, alcohol, different things, trying to just get uh, their mind out of these things and, 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 and the depression and stuff that goes with it uh, and everything else. And I'll tell you what drives me crazy. I'll give you a little secret. When it comes to fornication and people that profess to be Christians that are doing it, living in open fornication, you know what drives me crazy is when I hear them say, woe is me, right? <laughs> 
You won't believe what's going on in my life. I can't catch a break or even better. I can't seem to find a relationship that works. And I'm thinking, hmm, I wish I could just tell you what the secret is. Yeah. Anyway. You know what? It's an example, right? What's verse 6 say? Now, these things were our examples to the extent that we should not lust. So these are all examples. And again, at verse 10 or verse 11, it's going to talk about these are examples, right? For us today, you choose to wander in the wilderness with fornication. You're going to reap the same results they did. That's what God said. Oh, Let's keep going. We're almost done. Verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. So we see uh, this temptation, we see murmuring, uh, and some of these kind of go into the same story. But remember, as soon as they're on the other side of the Red Sea, what do they do right off the bat? They start complaining. They start murmuring. What's the first thing? We've got nothing to drink, right? And then God heals the waters at Mara. Uh, then what do they complain about right after that? We don't have any food, right? So God sends a manna every day, uh, every morning, except for the Sabbath day. Uh, and then one of the stories of their complaining comes from Numbers 21. Uh, and verse 5 says this, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of, the land, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loaded this light bread, right? You see what they're saying? You brought us out here, God, and now we're stuck out here, and we don't like the bread you're giving us, right? And they complained before they didn't have anything. Now they're complaining about what God gives them. So he sends fiery serpents that when they get bit, they would die later on. And once they start dying off, they start crying out to the Lord, and the Lord, that's when Moses... The Lord tells Moses to construct that brass serpent so that if any man was bid by faith, they would look on it and live. Uh, and we know that that is a picture of Jesus Christ from John 3. Uh, but all of that complaining, what are they saying? Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? And I'm here. What's crazy is this is Numbers 21. Seven chapters prior to that is when they sent the 12 spies. Six chapters prior is when they decided we're not going into the promised land. It has giants and walled cities, and we're not doing it, right? So now you get to chapter 21. Now it's God's fault. Now it's Moses' fault. We're in this wilderness. You brought us out, God, of Egypt for us to be in this wilderness. Isn't that the same attitude I hear of Christians today? They are not where God wants them to be, but they're blaming God, they're blaming the pastor, they're blaming family members, they're blaming any other Christian that's getting a blessing from God because they're where they need to be, and they're saying, it's God's fault, it can't be my fault, it's anyone else but my fault, it's God's fault, it's Moses' fault, and we're just going to die here in the wilderness. Yeah, you're right, you are, because God said you would, because you wouldn't trust him. Because you made the decision not to go in the promised land. And that we see over and over again. The majority refused to trust God. 
but now it's Moses' fault, now it's God's fault. And you're thinking, how ridiculous is it for the children of Israel to blame God for them wandering in the wilderness? It's just as ridiculous for someone who professes to be a Christian, who is a Christian, that refuses to do God's will. Don't blame God that you're not happy. Don't blame God that you're not comfortable. Don't blame God that you're not getting the milk and honey when you refuse to go where the milk and honey's at. It's not God's fault. Number 16, Korah's rebellion. We're not going to read that, but they go against Moses, against the Lord. Uh, remember, they uh, he makes himself a priest. They're going to offer their own incense. Uh, uh, and then the earth ends up swallowing yeah, them up yeah. and they die. There's a plague that happens afterward and that kind of ties in uh, to these verses, you know, right here, 9 and 10. Again, more examples. But then you get to it and you're thinking, well, wait a second. Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, admonition upon the ends of the world are come. And you think, now wait a second, so how, how do we apply this to our life? Number one, personally, if you're in the wilderness, it's not going to take you a week to get to the promised land. It can take you right now. Yeah. Right? That's the great part about where we're at now. These are spiritual things. We don't have to march and cross the Jordan River and everything else, we can say, you know what, God? I'm going to pick up my cross where I put it down. I'm going to do that calling that you called me to do, and I made excuses. I'm going to do that thing you keep uh, uh, urging me to do that I, I don't want to do. I'm just going to trust you, God. And that just that quickly, we can get out of the wilderness and into the promised land spiritually. So that's what we do for ourselves. But I think this should be eye-opening for those around us, right? We know people that are Christians that are living in the wilderness spiritually and this is the effects of it, right? The effect, the wilderness of, uh, of, of you know, following other, other will or other desires or other things, the fornication, the complaining, all the tempting Christ, all these things. We see these examples spiritually today. And you know what? Some of us may have to share some tough love with some people we know, right? The next time they complain, somehow, through God's will, through God's grace, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I think we're going to have to give them a little truth and say, you know what? It's because you're in the wilderness, right? You can't disobey God and be in complete comfort. You can't disobey God. Go against his will. Live in open sin. And act like everything is okay. It doesn't work. It didn't work for the children of Israel. It won't work for you now. But also a reminder. That remember I said it's very easy for us to get out of the wilderness and go into the promised land. It's just as easy for us to go from the promised land to in the wilderness. Right. How many people have you seen? On fire for the Lord. Doing what the Lord called them to do. And then they go off on some other thing. For whatever reason, whatever desire, maybe it was a job opportunity, maybe something else. They just go off, and now they're in the wilderness. Now, I'll tell you what, you thought the ones that never saw the promised land were bitter? Talk about the ones that were in the promised land and now are wandering in the desert. They're bitter times ten, right? It's those people we got to really pray for. All of the group that's in the wilderness, we got to pray for them. 
we've got to, and I believe sometimes we've got to give them some hard truth and say, hey, you still have breath in your lungs, you still have health in your body, you still have time right now, and don't think about all the time you've wasted. Think about how now you can change and get out of the wilderness and get into the promised land. Because that's what needs to happen. And I know it's not what people want to hear, but it's the truth. It's true. It's, it's for our example. Because what did they gain when they wandered 40 years and died off? Yeah. Nothing. They never got to see the promised land. They never got to taste the milk and honey. They never got to see the victories of God. They never got to the blessings of everything that God gave them. They didn't get any of it. None of it. Just wandering in the desert, going in circles. And I have a feeling there are a lot of people that have wasted a lot of years doing the same thing. Yeah. Oh, they may have a nice house, nice career, nice things like that. Yeah, that's great. But what about what God wants you to do? Yeah. You, can find, you can have blessings down here that are God-given when you're in the center of his will. And they're greater than those in the desert. I promise you every time. Well, we're going to open up the altar to prayer. These are for our examples, not just for teaching vacation Bible school. It's good for that, too. But I'm glad that we've got examples so we don't have to do the same thing. But the key to all of it once you're out of Egypt, you're not a slave anymore. Yeah. You've got a choice. Amen. You've got a choice. We're not slaves to sin. Pharaoh's not over. It's the devil. You can't say the devil made me do it. No, we chose to do things. That's right. Amen. We sure did. We're going to sing Pass Me Not if you need to pray tonight.